Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are continuing our series entitled The Name Changer, and I'm going to try to pull something off. I'm actually pulling it off uh, that I've never tried before. My voice is a little bit rough, but... Uh, there are 10 points in this message, and there were 10 points in the Leaders' Cut message that we filmed last night after the message. So there are all told 20 points in this message, and here's why. Last weekend, we answered the question, who is God? This weekend, we're answering the question, who are you? And I'm not asking the question, who do you think you are? Because I already know the answer to that question based on how you live. I don't think... The, the correct way to be a fully functioning Christ follower is to live according to who I think I am. When Satan comes and attacks your identity, I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but if you try and answer him with who you think you are, you're in trouble. But if you go to God's word and answer him according to who God says you are, you win. I could have made this message three to five points. I admit that. And my professors in college would probably have said, Preston, keep it tight. It's a holiday weekend. Get her done. <laughs> but as I, as I went through this stuff, I, I wrestled with the Lord kind of and just said, but God, there may be some people in church this weekend who don't know these things. And they've never heard these things. And they don't know who God says that they are. How do I pull this out? I, I can't rip these things out. And that's how I ended up with 20 points in this message. Okay, so we got a lot of ground to cover to get you out of here before two o'clock. All right. <laughs> Not going to tell you to turn somewhere. The title of this message is from God's perspective. Who do I say you are now? This message is for followers of Jesus Christ. All right. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, odds are by the end of this message, you may want to be. Okay, because when you see what is available to the sons and daughters of God, you'll want to get in on in this action. Okay. So just remember, trying to cover 10 points in 40 minutes, the average is going to be about three to four minutes. So some, some of these points, you're going to wish we could linger longer. We can't because we've got to get to the next one, all right? Because I'm trying to just bombard somebody who does not know who they are in Christ with all of the things God says about them. Is that cool with you? Okay, even if it's not, I'm doing it, all right? Here's why. If you don't understand who God says you are, you will live according to who you think you are. All right? First name, and in my opinion, this is the top. This is something God calls you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that out of all of the names, to me, this is the most important one. Point number one, he calls you his child. You're my child. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child. If you want to measure someone's maturity spiritually, I think this is one of the best ways. Ask them how they see being a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who believed Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right, God gave the right to become Children of God. You believe in Jesus? You're given the right to become a child of God. Here's how I would say that. Faith in the Son of God brings status 
as a child of God. Now, I'm sure you're called a lot of names. You got a lot of nicknames. My, probably the nickname I'm called the most is Press. I know usually if someone calls me Press, they're close to me. It's always weird to me when someone who hardly knows me calls me Press because that's actually a term of intimate endearment with the people in my life. They call me Press. In college, they called me Pretty Press. The guys in the basketball team nicknamed me Pretty Press. And that was because I was too pretty to play defense. <laughs> All I wanted to do was shoot threes. But here, here's the, the truth. No matter how many names you're called, you need to make sure if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that this is the one you put first out of the list of names. You are a child of God. And if you don't understand this truth, it's going to negatively impact the rest of your life. You're going to have a hard time following the son as long as you don't understand your status as a son or daughter. First John chapter three, verse one, I think helps us understand that this, this is one of the names God calls us that's at the top, if not the top. First John 3, 1 says this, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. Here's another way to see that. Out of all the names, Preston, that God calls you, if you want to know the name that shows the most love for you, here's the name. He calls you his child. When the God of the universe looks in your direction and says, oh, sweet child of mine, that is a big deal. Some of us don't have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe because we don't even know that his favorite name to call us is my child. You've got to understand this before we go to any of the other names. And Christ, nobodies aren't just transformed into somebodies. No names are given the greatest name. Child of God. Here's point number two. He calls you adopted. He doesn't just call you his child. He calls you adopted. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says God decided in advance. Now, how far in advance? Verse four tells us before the foundation of the earth, God decided before the foundation of the earth to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. I love this part of this verse. That's what he wanted to do. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. Why did he want to? Because it gave him great pleasure. Think about this. The God of the universe put a plan in motion before creating the earth to adopt you into his own family. Somebody help me understand why we would ever wake up in the morning with identity issues. He was, my paraphrase, scheming righteously. He was putting a plan together before he created the earth to adopt you into his own family. Either you are sleepy this morning or you just don't get this. Can you wrap your mind around this? God was planning to adopt you before anything was ever even made. Now, I've had the privilege over the years to be a part of the adoption process for several families in our church. And 
it's always an amazing time of celebration once the judge makes it final and the child now has a new last name. It's pretty fantastic. And the last one I got to be a part of, it, it was during COVID and, and there were like 40 people on the video, you know, all over uh, joining the courtroom. And, and then the judge made the adoption final and people started going crazy. People started crying. People started cheering. People started screaming on mute. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Here's what's wild. These parents were celebrating because they'd been in an adoption process for less than half a decade. I want you to catch this. They'd known these children for less than five years and they were crying and screaming and going bananas. Have you ever heard the saying or the statement, when someone becomes a believer in Jesus, all of heaven throws a party? Now you know why. Because God has been talking about adopting you into his family since before the foundation of the earth, not four years. And so when you finally put your trust in Jesus, all of heaven goes crazy and I think kind of says, finally, because God's been talking about adopting you since before the beginning. And we just wake up like we're just nobodies. The God of the universe planned on adopting you before anybody even knew you would exist, before the earth even existed. He's been talking about you and putting a plan together to adopt you into his own family. He calls you adopted. That's just nasty. Point number three, he calls you loved. You've never truly lived until you've learned how to live with the name loved. Romans 5, verse 5, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Here's how I would say it. The Spirit of God constantly communicates the love of God to the children of God. Okay, here, here's what's awesome. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Father puts the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of us. And one of the primary responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to fill my heart with the love of God. Let me try and illustrate this. Father puts the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of me to send messages of love to my heart all day, every day. I wonder if it kind of goes like this. The Father whispering to the Holy Spirit, psst, 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 psst. Tell him, tell him now. Tell him in a way we've never told him before. As he looks at that ocean, tell him my love for him is even more than the drops of water in the ocean he's staring at. All day, every day. Help me understand why we don't wake up crying every morning of our lives because we have a revelation that the God of the universe is so obsessed with us that he calls us loved. That he put his spirit inside of us so that our hearts would be filled with his love. Now, how does he love? Well, there's lots of verses that I could use, but John 15 verse nine is one of my favorites. Jesus says something that's just gangster. This is what he says. The same way the father has loved me, I love you. 
Okay, we read verses like this and we just move on to verse 10. It's like, oh, that's great. Jesus is a lover. That's great. Okay, let me give you my way of saying this. Because this will theologically jack you up. Jesus says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. Here's my paraphrase. As God loves God, God loves you. Are you good, bro? Are you even there? Like, you don't even believe this, clearly. Because if you did, you would walk into every room you ever walk into and go, want to know something about me, bro? As God loves God, God loves me. Holmes, you should pin your shoulders back all day, every day. As the God of the universe loves the God of the universe, God loves you. Thank you, Elise, for something. That's righted me. I hope you're, you're drowning in love right now, and that's why you're so quiet. Because this one got me. God, how much do you love me? Preston? As the father loves the son, the father loves this son just as much as the son. Help me understand why I don't wake up every morning of my life crying. When the first words out of his mouth are, I love you so much. To our little four-year-old that we're fostering right now, every morning I try when he wakes up because he's an early riser and so he'll come into our room, jump on the bed, and I try for the first words out of my mouth to be, I love you so much. And every once in a while he says, how much? And I say, much, 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 much. Help me understand. Why, when the first words you hear every morning of your life are, I love you so much. And you say, how much? And he says, as much as I love myself. As much as I love my son. I love you. We're moving too slow, but I'm having too much fun. The greatest revelation in all the earth is how God, how loved you are by the creator of heaven and earth. Name number four, and this is where it kind of gets fun. He calls you near. If you're a child of God, he calls you near. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now, after salvation, you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. But now you've been brought near to him. Notice, you've been brought. You didn't draw near, you've been brought near to him, to God, through the blood of Christ. Okay, I gotta quickly get through this one. Anybody grew up watching Sesame Street? Okay, you already know where I'm going with this, right? Remember how they taught us locational proximity? There would be like something right here and they would go, near. And then what would they do? The puppet would be like, Far. 
near, far. Okay, this is how too many believers see relational proximity to God. If you think good behavior moves you close to God, you'll buy the lie that bad behavior makes you far from God. But here's what you need to understand. Here's how badly God wants to be near you. God doesn't want his proximity to you to come down to you. I'm not close to God because of my behavior. I'm close to the Father because of the blood. I've been brought near to God. So you got to understand, some of us wake up and we're like, I behaved so badly yesterday. I'm just going to be so far away from him today. He promised to never leave me or forsake me. And that doesn't come down to my behavior. It comes down to the blood. This is not a right to behave however I would like, by the way. But I don't think we're adequately teaching grace if it doesn't sound a little scandalous. I've been brought near because of the blood, not because of my good behavior. You will never live as one who is near until you get a revelation of how impossible it is for you to be far. The God of the universe will never look at one of his children and say, far, 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 way far. (laughs) Never. How can you ever be far if he promised never to leave you? It isn't just that he's always near. It's that if he's always near, that means you're always near. You may not feel like it. You may feel a little shame from something you did. But that does not mean he's far. He looks at you and calls you near. Every child of God has constant and immediate access to God because they've been brought near to God. Here's point number five. He calls you a new creation, a new creation. Have you ever tried to make a change in your life before that was difficult? And we're coming in on the the new year and it's typically a a time of the year where people uh, attempt to make really big wholesale changes to their life. You know what I'm saying? And when you were trying to make a change, it didn't last for very long. And am I the only one who like by February, it was back to the old normal, you know? I think because of that pattern, some of us theologically misunderstand this term, new creation. I think we see it more like new attempt, new effort, new season that could quickly go back to an old season. You need to understand what it means to be a new creation. Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does that mean? What does it look like? Old things have died. Behold, my paraphrase, check this out. Old things have passed away. Check this out. All things have become new. Becoming a Christ follower isn't a new hobby that you'll replace once you get a newer hobby. It's a new life. This is what's so beautiful about baptism. 
Every time someone gets baptized, they were reminding all of us in the room how this goes. We die. The old life dies. So maybe you grew up in a home where there, there were no believers in Jesus. And maybe you saw some really bad things done and, and someone in your family looked at you and said, you're just like your father. And they actually meant it as a curse. You're always going to be like this. And maybe you just gave your life to Christ. Let me help you understand. The beauty of baptism, the picture of baptism, the old me dies. So when the enemy comes and says, remember all that lying? You're such a liar. Yeah, I do remember. I know exactly where his gravestone is. He's dead. Why did he die? So that he could be raised to what? New life. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. When I became a follower of Jesus, it wasn't a new season. It was a new creation. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. Again, and I know you hear me talk about my friend all the time, who was a serious alcoholic, gave his life to Jesus. Done. And people ask how. He didn't go to A, he didn't do any of that stuff. Well, for this man, he hit such a rock bottom. When he was baptized, he drowned that man in liquid because he'd been drowning that man in liquid. And when he came up, I was crying, he was crying. Why? Because he knew. I'm new. That's not me anymore. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. God looks your way and goes, what's up, new creation? How you doing this morning, new creation? Never will you wake up and God say, hey, old you. Boy, yesterday was an old you day, wasn't it? New creation, he calls you. Here's the sixth name, free. He calls you free. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So before Christ, we're slaves to sin. We're under the power of sin. Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Okay, the best way to illustrate this point is to talk about actual slavery. In biblical times, there were actually more slaves than free humans. And one of the things that would happen every once in a while, a slave would be emancipated. They would be freed. But a problem would arise when the slave didn't understand freedom, couldn't comprehend their life as a free person, and they would make the choice to remain a slave, even though they had been set free, emancipated. Now, you might think about that and go, why on earth would anyone do that? I actually think that might be a bit of the human condition. When God's people came out of Egypt and they were in between the land of the promise and the land of bondage, what, it, what was it that they said? When they were in the middle, headed towards the land God promised them, they were looking back going, you know, at least we ate better 
back when we were slaves. The way they processed was as someone who was not free. I think there are a lot of believers in the church today who have been set free, but don't live as one who is free. This is why God looks in your direction and constantly calls you free. Good morning, free. How you doing, free? Remember what it was like to be in bondage? Yes, Lord, I do. Isn't that awesome to no longer be in bondage? Yes, Lord, it is. Preston, I call you free because you are free. Not because of anything you did. You didn't conquer the power of sin. My son did that. And as I have extended that to you, that's why I call you free. Now, one of the awesome things, when a slave would be emancipated, if they, they uh, had trouble understanding what free life would look like, or if their owner would ever come back and try and say, you used to be my slave, even though you were emancipated, I still see you as my slave. Want to know the thing that would shut down the conversation of if that slave owner still owned the slave? Death. Death. The one way to prove that a slave was no longer the possession of its former owner was death. Again, let me go back to baptism. <laughs> it's just rubbing it in Satan's face. Because before Christ, I was owned by him and it. I was under his power. I was under the control of sin so much of the time. And so they could come back at any point and say, this is our slave. Because this, 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 we'll show you all the acts he did, which we convinced him to do, which we got him to do, which we made him do. And here's what God does. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Let me put an end to this debate. <laughs> Dead with Christ, crucified with Christ. You no longer have a claim to James Preston Morrison because he died with Christ. And every time Satan tries to come and say, she's under my control. To a believer in Jesus, here's what Jesus does. He holds up your death certificate. Sorry, you don't own her anymore. She'd be dead. And I have the paperwork to prove it. You are free. So stop thinking and living like you're not. Here's the seventh name. He calls you the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Remember, Jesus didn't sin so that he could take on all of our sin. He knew no sin. He became sin for us, took on all of our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, let's illustrate this. Instead of looking at this from a spiritual perspective, let's look at it from a financial perspective. Let's say you were a business instead of a human and someone was coming to acquire you as a business. Well, here's what typically happens. They take a look at your P&L 
They look at your statement of accounts. They go through all of your financials to see if you were a business worth acquiring, right? So let's say the God of the universe, the divine entrepreneur, comes to take a look at your financials to see if you are worthy of being bought by his company. And the first thing he notices is that you love credit cards. And you didn't use these credit cards. He's looking through the statements. You didn't use these credit cards to start your business. You use these credit cards to enjoy your life. The first credit card he pulls up has over $100,000 of debt on it. Anybody be proud of that fact? Probably not. What if there were a hundred of those cards and you had $10 million? I won't extrapolate trying to prove some point. I'll just fast forward to the end of this little equation. What if you had $1 trillion of business debt at 24% a year? Would you consider yourself a business worth acquiring? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't acquire you. Shoot, I, I would have bounced if you had 10 million in debt. I'd have bounced if you would have had 1 million in debt. And not a dollar of assets to your name? See, some of us think that we were an amazing business to be acquired by God because we're so impressed with ourselves. But without Jesus, we need to understand we are all in over a trillion dollars of debt at 24% a year. Yet God, who is rich in mercy and grace, said, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. See, this, this word, righteous, it, it, it's, I don't want to spend too much time here because I'm already past it. But, but here's the point. It's a banking term. It's imputation. It brings in this banking term imputation theologically. And it doesn't just mean that God puts good things into your account. It means he takes out all of the debt from your account, puts it in Jesus' account at the cross, puts all of the, think about it financially like this, heaven's black card in your account can buy anything at any time. I'm not talking, you, you get me. Don't go too far with this illustration, okay? <laughs> he swaps your debt for heaven's riches, the riches of his son. This is how you can be called as a son or daughter of God, the righteousness of God in Christ, even though you've done some really bad things. He took your trillion dollars worth of debt, put it in Jesus' account at the cross, Put the riches of heaven in your account. So when he looks at you, no matter how you feel about you, he says, there's my righteousness. There she is. He's the righteousness of God in Christ. Satan will label you by your worst or most recent sin. But for every child of God, God calls them what he calls Jesus, righteous. Here's the eighth name. He calls you redeemed. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Okay, this word redeemed 
has three different Greek words that all connect to the word agorazo. The word agorazo means to buy from, from the market. Okay, so get the picture. Agorazo, to redeem, means, let's say it's vegetables. You go into a market and you agorazo, you buy the vegetables from the market. Now, one of the things about this, this Greek word agorazo, if you bought this, these vegetables from the market in one town, you went to the next town and they didn't have the same vegetables, you could put those vegetables back on the market. You tracking with me? Now, there's another Greek word for redeem and it's ex agorazo. This word ex agorazo means to buy at the market for personal use. In other words, it literally, this word redeem means in this verse to buy, not to resell. Incidentally, this is yet another one of the reasons why I personally, theologically, don't believe we can lose our salvation. Because I wasn't agorazo redeemed, where I could at any point be resold. I was ex agorazo redeemed. I was bought for personal use. He bought me to keep me for himself. This is what it means to be redeemed. But I need you to see the picture of this redemption. I'll use something in our own backyard, the Barrett-Jackson auto auction, if you've ever heard of that. If you've never heard of it, once a year in January, we have people from all over the world come and buy awesome older cars or, or just incredible cars at auction. And some of these cars will go for millions and millions of dollars. So you have this room full of people and a bunch of people online. You have an auctioneer who's, you know, like it was cattle, you know, just spitting out numbers and you can't even understand what they are. And people just throwing up stuff, you know. I want you to get this picture. You're one of the cars. This is what ex looks like. You're one of the cars. The car before you is an old Aston Martin from an old James Bond movie. And everybody is oohing and on about this car. This is the car before you. It goes for $4 million. And you're like, I wonder what I'm about to go for. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought this about yourself. You're a Pinto. <laughs> but you ain't just any Pinto, you be a broken down Pinto. Paint chips all over the hood. Like there is nothing visibly attractive about this Pinto. And the Pinto had to be pushed up onto the auction block. Like you couldn't even drive yourself onto this thing. They pushed you up there. People are snickering and laughing. You're embarrassed. You thought you were a Ferrari until you saw the picture of yourself and you thought, well, I'm actually a Pinto. And the auctioneer begins the auction. Can I get $1,000? Some guy who loves Pintos. Can I get $10,000? Some guy who's totally drunk. Can I get $20,000? Some guy in the back. No one ever saw. 
Can I get 25,000? Same guy puts his paddle up. Auctioneer's feeling himself. Thinks the guy may be completely inebriated. Can I get 50,000? Same guy puts his paddle up. He's bidding against himself. I can make this illustration take an hour, but I won't. The bidding gets up to the level of the last car, the Aston Martin. We're up to four and a half million dollars. The same guy keeps putting up his paddle and people are going, why is he bidding against himself? But he just keeps going. Can I get $10 million? Same guy puts his paddle up. There's, by this time, Bear Jackson has sent a, a mediator to come put their hand up, you know, to be the in-between. And that person comes to the man putting up the paddle and says, why don't you make a final bid? Three people to this bidder's left just so happens to be sitting Elon Musk. And at the time, all of his stock and all of his assets are worth $250 billion. And the man who's been bidding against himself this whole time asked the mediator, can we get a number on, on what that man's worth? Takes him a few minutes, comes back, $250 billion. The man says, I'd like to bid $1 trillion. Mediator says, for broken down Pinto? Mm-hmm. You don't understand. I've wanted this Pinto not for the last 40 years like the last guy in that Aston Martin. I've wanted this Pinto since before the earth was created. Sold, the auctioneer says. And God walks up. They're going to let him do whatever he wants. He just stroked the check for a trillion dollars. He walks up, gets in the pinto with the biggest smile on his face, and says, I've been waiting to take this joy ride for longer than any of you can imagine. And he drives off crying. Again, I don't understand why you don't wake up crying every morning of your life. Because some mornings of your life, whether you realize it or not, the first word he says, sold! The same way it was said that day when the blood was paid as the price for you. Here's the ninth thing, and I got to breathe through these last two. I'm, I'm a little over time. He calls you Blessed. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Sometimes I hear people say, I don't feel blessed. I know the Bible says I am blessed, but I don't feel blessed. Okay, number one, never live according to your feelings. Number two, let me help you understand why you don't feel as blessed, even though God calls you blessed. Scripture says God blesses every one of his children with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Here's the picture. It would be like at Christmas, God wraps thousands of presents. Now remember, these are spiritual blessings, not material blessings. Don't get it twisted. Thousands of presents under the tree. And you walk by the tree every day of your life knowing all of those presents are for you. 
But Christmas comes, and for whatever reason, you decide not to open one of them. The reason every believer in Jesus is blessed, they're so blessed that they're called blessed, but they don't feel blessed simply because most of them rarely open up the spiritual blessings. The God of the universe looks in your direction and says, good morning, blessed. You need to understand this because some of you may think it's wrong to think like this, but it's completely normal for a child of God to anticipate opening a spiritual gift from God every day they get from God. It's okay to wake up every morning of your life and go, Father, what spiritual gift do I get to open today? Well, Preston, today over coffee, I'm going to give you a prophetic word for someone I've been pursuing who does not yet know me as Father. Really? You're going to hand me a gift from you to give to somebody else? Mm -hmm. This is the gift we're going to open together today. God calls you blessed. Billion dollar question is, how often do you open up the blessings? Here's number 10. God calls you heir. Romans 8, verse 17, and since we are his children, remember that's where we started, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Here's the reality of God's family. Every child of God gets the same inheritance as the Son of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. Anybody know what scripture says? is Christ's inheritance. Scripture says the Father promised all things as an inheritance to his son. Help me understand why you would ever wake up in the morning wondering if you were valuable. It's not just that he paid the most extravagant price for you. It's that he's extended the greatest inheritance in all of history to you. What the son gets as an inheritance, you get as an inheritance. I had 43 minutes to go through 10 names. I have essentially an hour and a half to go through 20 names, counting the leader's cut. Here's what's wild. This doesn't even come close to all of the names. The God of the universe is so in love with you that I personally believe every day of my life and your life, he's calling us by new names, pet names, intimate names. I know a lot of us are trying to answer the question, Who am I? Make sure the answer to that question doesn't come from your brain, but comes from God's word. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You are not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. 
it's time to start living like it. It's time to begin orienting my life, not around who I think I am. It's time in this season of your life to begin orienting your life around who God says you are. Redeemed. You are ex agarazzo. Righteous. Your bankrupt account, a trillion in debt, was completely zeroed out and then bombarded with the riches of heaven as a co-heir of Christ. If I were your enemy, I'd try and get you to believe the lie that you're still the old you. Because I'm deathly afraid of you waking up tomorrow morning knowing you are a new creature, a new creation all together in Christ. If I were your enemy, I'd try and spend a lot of my time trying to get you to feel and live like an orphan. Because the fastest way to keep you disconnected from the Father and from the power of the Spirit is to think you're some no-name orphan with no right, no claim. That may feel like who you are, but that is not who God says you are. Spirit of the living God, I pray right now that you would help each one of us get a greater revelation of who we are. We obviously need a greater revelation every day of our lives of who God is. But we also, Lord, need a greater revelation of who we are. We're not who the enemy says we are. We're not even who we think we are. It's so much better than that. We are who you say we are. So God, would you help us? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit, not just to believe it, but to be it? to live it, to own it, not just hope for it. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.